And it is this moment where this little brother saves the older brother that changes that relationship forever. Everyone and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for another episode and for the second episode of our themed month. That's right. Welcome back to Mini Month Part 2. Yes, Mini Month Part 2, Episode 2. We are into the thick of it um, in this themed month. We had a great conversation last week about a short 10-minute play, and we're having another conversation this week about a short 10-minute play. In that last week episode, we did some work at the beginning of the episode talking about themed month. So if you're arriving here fresh from that, or, or not having interacted with that, um... Great, great little kind of bracketed conversation about why we're doing themed month uh, this way uh, this year. It's a pillar of our no script time. Um, uh, we do a themed month every season, and this month we're doing mini month part two for a lot of great reasons. And you should just go back and listen to the start of that episode if you want to know the reasons. <laughs> Yes, that's right. And I think the reason Jackson is saying that is that last week our episode was like probably a, a hair longer <laughs> like a than minute, we were anticipating. Yeah. I think it was because we spent a lot of time in the front end talking about short plays and about themed month in general. So we're going to try to be more on pace for what we were hoping for for these episodes, a little snappier. So today we are talking about a play I'm guessing, unless you're very familiar with the Actors Theater of Louisville, you haven't heard of. But that is a really interesting play that's part of a really interesting anthology that you may want to check out. The play today is La Muerte by Marco Ramirez. Yes, it was the first time uh, that I had read this uh, script, certainly. First time that I read Marco Ramirez, too, and I'm just, like, so excited by this script. <laughs> um, it's a really cool, visceral script. Um, really leans into the 10-minute form really well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of excited. It's got so much, um, um, it's so evocative of a lot of different things. And I'm, I'm excited to kind of get to get to have the conversation after having read it or after having experienced the play as, as we uh, often like to recommend people to do. We're kind of trying to capture that moment of having seen a play and going out and chatting about it afterwards. Yeah, th this play is uh, about the apocalypse, about life yeah. after the end of the world as the whole anthology is. The anthology itself is called The End. Um, if you search that title plus one of the playwrights, so I guess you could just search The End, Marco Ramirez, should be able to find that anthology. It's got some really fascinating stuff in there uh, I think you'll want to check out. We chose this one on recommendation from someone uh, who, who is very familiar with this group of playwrights and this group of scripts, and it, it's been a, an interesting read a number of times now, and I think it should be interesting to talk about. Before we get there, though, we want to recommend that everybody head on over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. That's all one word, no hyphens, no underscores. 
patreon.com slash no script podcast over there you can become a supporter of the show patrons are what make the show possible for us to do we love to do it it's a joyful part of our life but it does take money to run um, and jackson and i don't have the funds offhand to be able to do this kind of work without that support there are tiers that you can join over there. Uh, the lowest tier is a dollar a month, $12 a year. We think that's very affordable, and we really feel that if you're spending time with NoScript, you're getting at least that value, if not more, from the time that you exchange uh, with us. So please consider that if you're not already. To those of you that are, huge thank you for supporting the show. Again, we couldn't do it without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you patreon.com slash no script podcast and we'll yes. see you over there yes indeed thank you so much to all of our patrons y'all are great and thanks for considering heading over to patreon.com slash no script podcast now and now back to the script yeah i got it all right <laughs> we're gonna nah, jump nah, in nah. <laughs> you snagged it um uh, we're gonna jump into the uh context for this play real quick we're gonna do short we're uh we said this again at the last one too we're doing kind of shorter context a lot of times these uh we, we really like to introduce you to a playwright um uh when when uh, they're new to the podcast uh whether you've interacted with them before etc and we're still gonna do that we're just gonna do them slightly more abbreviated than we often do um the uh, the uh, kind of context for this play, La Muerte, by uh, Marco Ramirez. Marco Ramirez is a uh, a playwright and a screenwriter um, with a pretty prolific set of uh, plays and screenwriting. If you if you think you haven't interacted with Marco Ramirez, I'll bet you you have, um, <laughs> uh, via, via some of his screenwriting at the very least. Um, uh, I'll, I'll start a little bit at the beginning. Originally from Miami, he started at NYU and received a playwriting fellowship to the, to uh, study at Juilliard as well. He's had productions just in many, many of the big houses. <laughs> you got uh, Lincoln Center, Kennedy Center, Center Theater Group in Los Angeles, Old Globe in San Diego. Um, also, Actors Theater of Louisville. And we get to say Humana Festival again because he's had a number of plays produced at Humana Festival. Um, quite a prolific playwright in that regard. If you've interacted with one of his, only one of his plays, you perhaps have interacted with The Royale, um, which uh, came out in 2013. Interesting, it, it was directed by Rachel uh, Shevkin. Um, who, who also directed Hades Town, if you've interacted with Hades Town. So there's a kind of an interesting connection there. Um, but that play won the Outer Critics Circle Award uh, for playwriting, uh, the Royale did. Um, he's also has, has a, just a bunch of TV writing. Um, so uh, if you've seen Sons of Anarchy, Orange is the New Black, Fear the Walking Dead, The Defenders, Daredevil, yay Daredevil is back in the MCU, side note. Um, all those, all those uh, 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 films or, or TV series Marco Ramirez has written for. So uh, definitely uh, you've almost, many of you have interacted with his work before. Uh, he's also been nominated for an Emmy and for a Writers Guild of America Award. So prolific playwright, uh, produced often, continuing to work uh, repeatedly. Um, uh, and this play, uh, or this play, uh, as Jacob said already, was part uh, of a series of plays. Um, or not a series, an anthology of plays, perhaps, or it was published together with a bunch of other plays. <laughs> Many of which in that set were written by Ramirez, but also Dan Dietz was on that um was in that anthology. There are also plays by, I'm scrolling through my notes, uh, Jennifer Haley, Alison Moore, and A. Ray Pamatmat. Um, 
And uh, so, so a series of plays in this series, uh, you can find it, uh, as Jacob said, by just searching the play name and any of those playwrights, uh, The End. Um, and uh, yeah, this, this, uh, this, this play kind of produced uh, together with a series of other plays, much the same as uh, our conversation of uh, Sure Thing was. All in the Timing is a 10-minute play produced uh, in the context of a number of different plays. Um, though notably in this version, not all the plays are by the same playwright. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so that's a that's an interesting difference in form, right? In terms of like how these shows would be presented. Both Sure Thing from last week and La Muerte from this week are short enough that they're probably not their own standalone theater event. That if you're gonna get audiences there, there's something else happening. Um, whether it's other shows or whether it's music or whether it's some sort of fundraiser thing, there's probably it's probably not its own thing necessarily. So they're produced alongside things. As you mentioned, Sure Thing is published as part of this anthology of short plays all by David Eyes, and you could perform that whole cycle all in the timing. This play is part of an anthology of short plays, but rather than being all about this, all by the same playwright, they're all organized around a sort of theme or experience, the end of the world. There are more banal uh, examples of that. I'm sure that many of you have seen like there are Christmas 10-minute plays or uh, gardening 10-minute plays. I own right. anthologies of both of those. Right. So there are many different ways to organize like a theme based uh, short play anthology. This happens to be one. And that would be an interesting um, evening of short plays. If anyone's ever heard of the climate change theater action, it's an annual theater movement whereby uh, this organization publishes 10-minute plays by playwrights from all over the world that are about climate change in some way and the impending uh, ecological catastrophe in some way. And then they provide it uh, those plays free to anybody that wants to perform them as long as you say that you're performing them as part of the climate change theater action during like a certain month of the year, usually in the fall. I've organized a series of readings around this. So that would be a sort of comparable phenomenon, right? Where it's like, we, we are doing these plays about this thing, um, and this play happens to be sort of one of those plays that would exist in that space. This one is probably also could be performed as part of the climate change theater action. It has some sort of ecological implications, but this one is more about uh, the end, the end of the world, the apocalypse, life afterwards, uh, that, that all of these plays in this little anthology are. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested too. I just like have so many questions about I, I, I maybe maybe this is something particular about ten minute plays, but uh, but there's so much like this this world is so interesting, and I would love a, like a a whole <laughs> a whole play about it, or like or like a TV series about it. It feels like it feel it has that energy of like you know supernatural or or any other kind of monster of the week yeah. sort of <laughs> sort of series that you may have seen. Um, it, yeah, it's it's an ex- it's an exciting little play. No, it definitely is. But before I quick get to the synopsis, I just want to mention that the Royale, I I saw a production of the Royale um, in, I don't remember exactly what year. It would have been before 2015. Um, no, that's not true. It would have been after 2015 uh, while I lived in Arkansas um, at, the, at Theater Squared, which is the professional theater in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And that production was quite good, and I, I loved the play script. So it's exciting to engage with more Marco Ramirez material. 
This 10-minute play, play, La Muerte, is about uh, a pair of brothers. I think it's um, maybe they are more brothers in um, their life together rather than in, in genes. We're not totally clear on that. But this is a, a pair of guys. One is Slick. Slick is our narrator, is our um, uh, uh, interlocutor, is our sort of entryway into the story. And he is just a young man of some age. Uh, it's a little unclear exactly how old. But he has a little brother named Mouse, also referred to as Little Man. Um, and a lot of the action revolves around what Mouse is able to sort of see or know about the world. There's also a monster in this play. Uh, called La Muerte. This monster is uh, imaginative. Is It's not totally laid out exactly what this thing is supposed to look like or be. It, the note about the character, though, is that it is effing terrifying. More of a suggestion <laughs> of a nightmare than an outright picture of one. I'm sure we'll talk about what that looks like. There's also instruments called for, electric guitars, percussion, finger snaps. This is a very sound-filled play. It reminds me a lot of The Thin Place by Lucas Nath, which we talked about several weeks ago in its sort of narrative and imaginative style. In The Thin Place, silence was a big feature. Um, and in this play, it sounds like this sort of cacophony of, of noise is sort of the, the sound feature of the play. The story is basically that Slick and Mouse are living in this kind of uh, apocalyptic world, um, and Slick has taken care of Mouse uh, for as long as as they've really been alive. Uh, Slick says the only reason this little fool is alive is because he's the closest thing in this shithole city I got to family. He's been the caretaker, the protector through these terrible times, but Mouse starts to get these dreams or these nightmares or these prophetic images. And it starts with Mouse saying, kind of out of the blue, we need to get out of this building. We need to get out right now. And Slick and Mouse exit the building only to have that building basically collapse just as they get through the doors. So Mouse had some sort of foreknowledge about it going to collapse. Um, and then Mouse says, uh, don't drink that. And the, the metaphor used is the milk turned to acid in this environmental catastrophe, whatever is going on. And then Mouse says, duck under there, and they do, and shards of glass rain down from the sky. So he, he's able to sort of predict somehow the danger that is befalling them and avoid it and keep Slick alive, much in the same way that Slick had kept Mouse alive for a long time. Uh, Mouse also says we need to bring along this crowbar, carry this crowbar with us. Um, in this sort of narrative style, Slick is talking to the audience, describing the uh, the ways that what is happening to these characters as Mouse, it seems, sort of lives out that scene in the in the sort of staging of it. They go down into sort of the deepest part of the subway systems and the underground tunnels. Um, they have this crowbar with them. They're trying to get into a safe place down from whatever horribleness is happening up on the surface. Um, and then the monster appears. Um, this mouse has got some sort of fever, some sort of sickness, so they're sort of stuck where they are. And this monster, La Muerta, appears to 
kill them, I guess. Hands like leather, eyes so black that even in the dark you could tell she's looking at you is the description of La Muerte. La Muerte appears in this dark tunnel place where they're holed up and attacks Slick. Um, the, The playwriting description says something terrifying, an indication of La Muerte. And then later, La Muerte appears. She's terrifying. Suddenly, La Muerte has Slick by the throat. Maybe it's as simple as a person in silhouette across the stage with an outstretched arm. Some sort of monster gets Slick by the throat. He's trying to fight it off. And then all of a sudden, Mouse takes the crowbar and kills the monster, or at least very seriously wounds it. And the monster flees. And Slick has uh, uh, survived this encounter with the monster. And then the stage direction, Slick takes a breath, stares at his brother, who stands taller than before some kind of hero. Um, And Mouse indicates that they need to keep moving, keep moving through these tunnels or whatever. And that's it. That's the play. It is running from this disaster on the surface at the indication of this young person, Mouse, uh, encountering this monster in the tunnels. The Mouse saves Slick from the monster. And then they keep moving on to whatever is next for them in this apocalyptic world. Yeah. Yeah, whatever is next. Is it more monsters? Is it just surviving? Is it, who knows? They're still carrying the iron with them, the the crowbar, so maybe they're engaging in more of this. It's just, yeah, just a fascinating, cool, what what are these characters going to go into next? Uh, sort of ending to the play. This this play, uh, we, we th- this is a good way to tie in some of that conversation we had about 10-minute plays and short plays. Um, this play really engages one or at least for me, uh, as I was reading, like, this is a really cool engagement of one idea. Like, you had this cool idea, couple of brothers fight the Lady of Death in a subway. And then you build a whole little world around it, nice little short scene. You don't have to build a whole play around it. You don't have to write a book about it. Um, It's just this nice little scene um, where you kind of set it up. You set up how they got there. You set up a reason, a hook into why it matters. Um, And then you do the interaction. You have this like really visceral scene, really scary scene, really fun scene. And then then you kind of like leave a lot of unanswered questions at the end and like excitement around around these characters and what else they could be doing in the world. It's just a great, great use of the 10 minute play format to just like engage a monster story really well, kind of. Yeah, I I think you often see with 10-minute plays that they are stories about sort of one moment where everything changes for a character. In some ways, that's even full-length plays are kind of about that, but you get a lot more context and build-up and understanding that leads to these big decision, big happening moments that change people's lives forever. We'd call that the climax of a play, right? But... In the in ten minute plays, you really scrunch down the context and the understanding that you get, and the idea is that we're just going to see the moment itself where everything changes for these people, and that that, even as a sort of nugget of human storytelling, human change, is powerful. And in this play, you really get that. I think the moment where everything changes for this pair of brothers is when Mouse saves Slick from the monster. This play seems to me to be in part about an older brother learning 
not that he's not the one who's protecting and caretaking anymore that his younger brother is capable of taking care of himself but also capable of taking care of him the older brother there's a, a more equality of relationship established. I think Slick does a lot of work at the beginning of the play and then again at the end to say, like, I was the one who fought off everybody. He says in the first, like, five lines, uh, he ain't, he's talking about Mouse, he ain't exactly right in the head, never has been, skipping a little bit, and our whole life has been me taking care of him. Our whole life I've been shaking off street rats and punching in teeth for his sake. And it is this moment where this little brother saves the older brother that changes that relationship forever. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's that's. I love that you've highlighted that because you know it's it would be it would be kind of low hanging fruit to say the thing that changes for these these uh, maybe kids forever is that they went and fought you know a ghost <laughs> and now are monster hunters and it's like <laughs> yeah yeah sure sure that's that's cool but the the like theme thing that's happening I, I agree with completely is this slow journey of slick realizing oh I'm getting watched out for too. And it's not that uh, it's not that he's he, he is now purposeless or that uh, his what he has done before doesn't matters any any less than it did before. But it's now a realization that, oh, he's he's got my back too. Uh, mouse has my back, too. And, and we have a way a way to engage this crisis that we're in uh, with some uh, with with some equality or at least both bringing something to the table um, as they maybe continue to go out and and discover <laughs> more things to fight in the subways um but but yeah it's it's a uh, I, that that evolution of slick's perception of his role in his little family is is uh fundamentally changed by this moment and and see if you agree with this jackson i'm not sure about it but it, it's a thought that i've had that there's something being done too with like um whatever the catastrophe is the apocalypse the end is in this play the thing where buildings collapse and milk turns to acid and glass shards fall from the sky it has sort of turned the world upside down it's like fundamentally changed how everything works and you know and now instead of living up on the surface they go down and live in these tunnels and you can't drink the milk anymore and poor old ladies get killed on the street it's like the fundamental nature of the world has shifted somehow because of the the way that Marco Ramirez imagines the apocalypse in this play and there's something being done with like that and the brothers relationship in concert that that relationship has been turned that that is is upside down i'm not and it's not wrong in the way that the apocalypse is wrong but it is different it's shifted it's fundamentally the relationship is altered by the circumstances like if the world had continued on as normal mouse would continue to be this person that needed taking care of and looking after in a harsh world but because of this thing that's turned the uh the the environment or the city or the setting upside down their relationship has sort of been turned upside down and then I think thus the the world is is somewhat changed. If we want to get into the kind of like this this maybe is a little bit nerdy. So sorry that we don't usually go this far into nerddom um, <laughs> when it when it when it comes to talking about plays. But um but the the uh, there's a, there's a line in this play that Mouse says there that Slick narrates through it and Mouse saying in Mouse's sleep. Um, that uh, the the problem with the people in the city is that they don't remember monsters anymore. 
um, that, that they've forgotten that there's this whole other group of things out there that is perhaps the uh, it's get it's 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 not directly said but that is perhaps responsible for some of this stuff that's happening in the city above mouse remembers mouse has access to a memory of it mouse has a connection to some of that memory and thus you know that you have you have the kind of this is kind of like the prologue perhaps of a continued story where their relationship certainly has changed and as a result of that the topsy-turvy world above them um, is about to change as a result of their interaction with with uh, the monsters that suddenly Mouse is able to remember. And so so you kind of have this, this, yeah, world is upside down, relationship turns upside down, but as a result of the relationship turning upside down, there's hope for the upside down world. Nice. That was a nice package <laughs> deal. I like it. <laughs> but uh, the other interesting feature of this play is the way that it's told. I compared it to The Thin Place in the way that it's narrative and imaginative. Yeah. And some of that I wonder if it's because the the amount of things that happens to this pair of guys in a 10-minute play is a lot. And yeah. you actually don't usually see this many actions in a 10-minute play because it takes a long time to to work your way through them unless you use this narrative style where Slick can just say, this is what happened, and this is what happened, and this is what happened to get us here. And so I wonder if, if the narrative style is a feature of the 10-minute playness, but I will tell you that I also know that it's a Marco Ramirez thing too. The Royale as a play, the only other experience I have with Marco Ramirez, is highly narrative is highly imaginative, evocative, theatrical in a similar way to this play. And and Marco Ramirez does a really cool interview that resonates with me as an artist where he talks about, because he does so much TV and film writing, how different it is to write for the stage and how the stage has unique powers and challenges and also opportunities for this kind of storytelling. Yeah, yeah, I imagine that just, just like I, have, I haven't read the, the interview you're talking about, but I imagine that the the ability to world build is a challenge in in uh, theater to quickly and succinctly develop a uh, a problem like this of the supernatural nature. Um, you kind of need the narrator to tell quite a bit of it. However, you can you can uh, feel that world so much more viscerally in a theater space than uh than on the on a screen for instance so like for instance this last scene uh where where a lot of evocative imagery is is brought about of like uh la muerte showing up uh using some sort of power maybe even a power that like transcends physical connection reaching across the stage to choke slick um and then exploding in like in like a neon sort of uh visceral <laughs> uh explosion as as she is hit with the crowbar by mouse all of that would be such an interesting visceral theater experience where you would feel something different than a special effects moment on a on a TV series or something like that so yeah the the sort of uh challenges of let's real quick build a world especially in a 10 minute play that has all this stuff the only way we can do that is with a narrator um and then the but then the 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 benefit of like and i can make them feel this world as opposed to just uh, interact or engage or watch this world. And there's something powerful about the fact that it happens inside of you. I mean, this is why I really like the theater and, and it's something that I try to champion a lot in my work is that theater is something that happens like in 
coast in uh, in concert uh, as a as a cohort with the audience unlike film and tv which i also love i watch all the oscar films every year i love sure, film sure. as much as i talk about the differences it's not because i don't like <laughs> movies i just think they're different in film you create a kind of packaged product that is its own thing and then an audience member can sit in their living room by themselves and watch it and they're watching the same thing that a person sitting in a movie theater in los angeles is watching theater happens with the people in the room and so when you have a storytelling experience like this, you're not creating everything yourself and offering it to the audience. Marco Ramirez has given us a great example in this little 10 minute play of the fact that what is being created is being created with the audience. Their imagination is part of the storytelling. What Slick describes in the narration is happening in the audience's head. There's some sort of visual representation to benefit that. But if the La Muerte monster is just a shadow on a wall with an arm, what that monster looks like, how it works, how it engages with slicks, you know, what happens there, it, you're just suggesting that there is a monster and the audience fills in the monster inside their mind. And that is so powerful because if you if you have these theater experiences where the thing that's happening is happening in the imagination of the audience, you give them something very, very different than watching a movie. And I think that's so important for the future of theater as movies get better and better and easier and easier to watch. We have to be giving people a different kind of experience than watching a movie. Otherwise, I mean, there's just going to be no reason for anybody to ever leave their couch to, to watch just like good storytelling art. Film does that very, very well. Yeah, but crafting that intentional, different experience and like being mindful of the strengths of it. Um, I, I agree. And maybe this is a little, this is a little theater existential. Um, but, but like the, the, that is, that is the way the theater survives is by, it's no longer enough to just say, yeah, we're doing a play. I mean, maybe it is in in a given community. Maybe you're, maybe the, the people who are in the play are exciting enough for the, for people to show up and like want to see your community members be in a play. Certainly that's a valid, valid way to do theater. But, um, uh, you, yeah, the, just the, yeah, we're telling a story perhaps, is not going to uh, uh, draw in that same amount of content because just like you say, you can sit on your couch and see a really good story. Um, but if you're leaning into the strengths of theater, if you're leaning into, I we will, we will make something in your mind that you have like, <laughs> that you will resonate with, that you will experience in a really different way in a really visceral way. Um, that's, that's still the ground that theater holds pretty, pretty, uh, uh, authoritatively um, uh, over, over film is like creating something together uh, in your minds as a kind of shared, almost like a shared kind of a shared uh, dream or shared hallucination or shared experience together of, of what's happening in front of you. I, that, that language of a shared hallucination has been used by many theater theorists to describe what, what theater is. I, I always like to think about theater more like the difference between uh, a live concert that you would go see like a, your favorite band perform live and how different that experience is than listening to the studio album. Yeah. There, there might be a lot of similarities in content, but the experience is totally different. And I, I lament theater that just would be better off as a movie. That's a phrase I, I use a lot. Yeah. Like, would <laughs> yeah. this be better as a movie? 
if I were watching this, could I do a better job with this if it were a film? Because I could get the camera really close up and I could choose the exact best performance by every actor, every take, and craft something that's perfect and encapsulated in time. And some things would be. Again, I don't dislike, I love movies. but And some things are better as movies. And some experiences you can only have live in the room. And then La Muerte, in the, in the way it was imagined, the same story you could tell as a movie. Let me be clear. But it would be different. The way that Marco Ramirez, Ramirez has written this script could only happen as a play because it requires you to be there and you, the audience member, to participate in building the world using your imagination. And and to just kind of to, to, to pivot it a little bit, but to be like right next door to this, 10 minute plays allow you to do that, too. So not only not only advocating for like uh, uh, just theater in general and its ground and its and its authority to do this, um, uh, but also like writers. What a fun opportunity <laughs> is presented to you in a 10 minute play to just. To, to, to try to create something visceral like that, to dwell on one idea, to just see if it works. And it's ephemeral. It lives, it lives, you know, you know, one to eight times, depending on the run of your show in the minds of your audience. You get to try it. You get to engage in a really cool world for a little while. You get to practice the, the, the art of crafting within a theatrical space and leaning into the, the, uh, the power that it offers to create these sort of shared experiences with your audience and then, and then you get to do another one. I mean, it's 10 pages. <laughs> you get, you get to just, you get to, you get to cr crank out these plays, these little moments and, uh, share them with people in a really fun way. So if you're look like, uh, again, to kind of commend the short play to people, if you're looking to practice writing, if you're looking to even practice scene work or stuff like that, 10 minute plays, great way to go and see if you can find like a crew to do it with you. <laughs> Cause it's, it's a fun way to, to bring in bring theater and experience theater in a, in a short format. Absolutely. I think that's the time we have for this script. Uh, really cool read. Thanks Marco Ramirez for writing it and for creating this thing that allowed us to soapbox a little bit about the power of theater. Yeah, uh, we definitely really cool play. <laughs> Encourage you to check it out. Look it up. The end is the name of the anthology and you should be able to find that online. I mean, maybe not the script itself, but a place to buy it. Um, just the end with plays by Dan Dietz, Jennifer Haley, Allison Moore, a Ray, Pum, uh, Pamatama, sorry folks, I don't know how to pronounce that name, I really apologize, and Marco Ramirez. Uh, look up that online, should be able to find a place that you could check it out. Uh, cool anthology, just a really cool arranging of short plays, and then you can read La Muerte by Marco Ramirez. Yes, indeed. And when you do, we'd love to keep chatting about these plays with you. We have reached the end of our time here on the podcast to do so, but we'd love to keep talking about these plays with you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. Definitely, uh, if, you, if you're looking for a place to chat about these plays, that's definitely the place that we'd recommend you to go because you'll both be chatting with us, but also to the other folks in the NoScript community there too. And uh, reading plays, especially reading large quantities of plays, can be a lonely endeavor. So we're happy to have these conversations, but also happy to promote a space in which other people can connect and have conversations about these plays as well. Uh, you can also, though, if that doesn't sound fun to you and you just want to talk to us, we have a Gmail, noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those places. We'd love to keep chatting about La Muerte with you. 
Absolutely. If you've liked this episode or any of our other episodes, please pass this podcast along to your family, your friends, anybody you know that likes scripts, stories, or conversations about writing. Send them our way. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, all the places that you find podcasts. And you can like us on Facebook every Monday. An episode or a link to the new episode appears right there for you as we publish. We've got two more episodes of Mini Month Part 2 coming up. The back half of the season will be slightly longer. Short plays. We won't be looking at 10-minute plays. We'll be looking at plays that fit more of the one-act format. So we will see you next week for that. And until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script. No Script.